Amen. Good singing this morning. Take your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter number one. Galatians chapter number one. And uh, we are this year embarking to learn more and to endeavor to serve the Lord and worship the Lord uh, in spirit and in truth. And uh, the message this morning um, really doesn't quite get that far. It's more foundational. And so, but we're going to be working our way through the book of Galatians here for the next few weeks on Sunday morning. Um, and so as we look to see how Paul helps them to get beyond what their problems are into a, a worship and a life of service to the Lord that is pleasing to the Lord, that's, empow that's empowered by the Lord and that's making a difference in the world around them. And so uh, and the onset here, he's got some problems and he's dealing with them. Uh, and he's, uh, we addressed some of that last week as to uh, the details of that. And then here in Galatians chapter 1 this morning, we're going to begin in verse number 10. Uh, and the Bible says, Therefore do I now persuade men, or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceeding zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again into Damascus. And after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days. But other of the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards I came in to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and was, known, uh, and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which he once destroyed." And they glorified God in me. And I want to speak this morning on this thought. The gospel changes everything. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time again. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would bless this time. That you would open our hearts. That you would empower your word. Lord, do the work in each life that needs to be done. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the gospel is something that is increasingly under attack in the world around us. And so I saw even just this week that a school board member in another state uh, was on, in the news for uh, making statements that the school should resist hiring Christian teachers. Uh, and so not wanting the influence of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, to impact uh, our thinking. Uh, listen, if it wasn't for the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ and our Christian faith, we wouldn't have a nation. Uh, and so that, that's just the, simply put, and I, this isn't a political message this morning, uh, but I do want us to understand that wherever the gospel goes, it's attacked. 
whenever the gospel begins to make an impact and take root, then the world at large and the enemy of God is going to try to destroy it, to try to unravel it, to try uh, to lessen its impact. And that was who Saul was, or the Apostle Paul was, before he met the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a persecutor of the church. He separated families. He had people executed. He had people imprisoned simply because they named the name Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Uh, he was doing everything that he could to snuff out this fledgling, what they would determine as, or what they call a religion, uh, and turn them back to the traditional religion of their fathers, uh, which was Judaism. Josh McDowell wrote, wherever Jesus has been proclaimed, we see lives change for the good, nations change for the better. Thieves become honest, alcoholics become sober, hateful individuals become, uh, become channels of love, and unjust persons embracing justice. And we could go on. Why? Because the gospel changes things. The gospel can change your life. And you say, Pastor, why did you really believe that? Listen, the Apostle Paul as Saul can be changed, we can be changed. Uh, and if somebody that is, as, is determined uh, to destroy the gospel uh, can be changed by the gospel, uh, then so too can we. The transitional or uh, transformational power of the gospel arrested Saul on the road to Damascus. You have to understand uh, that Saul in his life, uh, he was an educated man. He was a man who sat at the feet of Gamaliel. We don't have time to get into all of the depth and the background of that. Uh, but Gamaliel was the teacher. If you wanted prestigious teaching, if, you wanted, if, if, if there was an Ivy League school system in Israel during this time, Gamaliel would have been at the top of that list. To be in his school, to be under his tutelage was a coveted spot. It wasn't something that was easily done. It wasn't a position that could be easily attained. Uh, it had to be, uh, be influenced by a prestigious standing in the culture uh, or, or paid for. It was not an easy place for Saul as a young man to find himself, but yet he finds himself there. And he's well educated. No one really in their time would have understood the Old Testament law like the Apostle Paul did even prior to his salvation, uh, to their understanding. But he was missing the guidance of the Spirit of God and the, and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ in his life. When the Apostle Paul, as Saul, went out to persecute, he did not do so thinking uh, that he was doing a disservice to God, that he was hurting the, the beliefs of their fathers or their religion. He did so believing that he was helping to preserve it, that he was helping to keep it alive, that he was helping to keep it pure. And then on his way to Damascus, as he went uh, with authorization from the, from the leadership of their nation to persecute Christians in other areas of, in, this, in, Dam in the, the area of Damascus, then Jesus meets him on that road, reveals himself to him, and changes everything. That one encounter changed him from being the greatest antagonist against the church to being its greatest advocate. It's amazing how just one moment could so, could so uh, transitionally, transformationally change one man's life. It was like night and day. It's like people knew his reputation, but they didn't know the man anymore. They feared him even when, when God came to, uh, to uh, the, 
Ananias to tell him to go and see him uh, and to, to remove the scales from his eyes and to tell him what was expected of him and what was going to be done, he feared to go because he knew the reputation of Saul. He, he said, you, you want me to go see who? Lord, have you forgotten that he's the persecutor of the church? Have you forgotten that he's the one uh, that's putting us in prison, that's separating families, that's having people executed? Have you forgotten what this man is all about? And Jesus says, I know what he was about, and you're about to find out what he's going to become. Amen. But why? what's the difference? The difference is Jesus. The, the difference is that there was a God in heaven that loved so much that he was willing to go the extra mile to pay the, to, to pay the extreme price for us, but then to go and find us where we are and change us and bring us to himself. Listen, Paul is someone that has profited from religion. He has profited and preyed upon his people. He's become uh, someone that's had influence and power and all of that changed when he met Jesus. Why? Because the gospel is powerful. Paul devotes the first chapter and a half of this little six chapter book to addressing that power, the power that he's preached, their reception of it, the perversion of it as false teachers have come in and then and the rest of it, he begins to tell them how to live in God's power and grace. So in the first chapter and a half here, what we're really seeing is, is that Paul has gone to great lengths to say, listen, I am here, not on my own, of my own volition, but because God called me. I have preached to you the gospel that I once tried to destroy. But it is the pure gospel, the pure message of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God into salvation. It has changed your life and you embraced it the Gauls of Galatia. And now you've let these teachers come in that want to pervert it. Well, their perversion primarily was the Judaizers, the Jews coming in and now trying to mingle the beliefs of this new uh, fellowship of Jesus with their old traditions and laws. You have to do this and you have to do that. And what resulted was just a hierarchy of a list of do's and don'ts uh, with a little Jesus sprinkled on top. And Paul's confronting that. And he's saying, this is a problem. You, you've, and, and he said, I'm, I'm surprised that so quickly after God changed your life that you bought back into this. Now, it's easy for us to sit back here and hurl stones, but we're really not any different. Because we revert back to what our comfort zone is. Uh, if you're here this morning and you are, uh, and you are from uh, a different background uh, as far as denominations of churches goes, uh, your default position tends to be what you were taught when you first came to Christ. Why? Because that's just human nature. This is what we do. I'm not, I'm not saying that as a criticism uh, against you or me or anyone else. That's just the reality of it. Uh, someone that was raised and believed to think a certain way, even though Jesus changes us and shows us truth, when we're not sure what to do, we tend to revert back to that by default. And then we have to reconcile that with Scripture. So their problem is, is that it's easy for them to slide into this because it appeals to what feels right to them in a church environment. What, what, what they've embraced as pleasing to God and, and they want to please God. And by the way, it's not a bad thing to want to please God, but it's more important that we just trust Him. You can, you can do all kinds of things to please God or to try to please God, uh, 
in your own power and your own strength, then God will not be pleased. But if I trust him, it's amazing the grace that I find uh, to grow and to develop and to be led uh, at, at a pace that's sustainable in my life as, I, uh, as he grows the hunger for himself in, in my heart and in my life. And so what is Paul doing here? Paul's addressing a problem. He's establishing his authority. He, he comes out swinging here and he says, uh, he says, for do I now persuade men or God? I, I'm, not, I'm not here to argue with you. I'm here and I'm not here to please you. I'm not here to tell you what you want to hear. I'm not here to try to make you feel good. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not here to, uh, to do anything other than just present to you the truth. And God can take the truth and do in your heart with it what you'll allow him to do. And then he says, but I certify you in verse 11, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. He said, listen, this message of the gospel that I'm preaching to you, it's not from me. What the Jews are peddling on you is from them. Uh, and if, if, if you have a hard time understanding uh, why that's true, uh, we're working our way through the Sermon on the Mount on Sunday nights. And, and it will enlighten you to understand how, how they thought and how they uh, went about things because the, the prophets spoke in the authority of God, but the rabbis and the Pharisees spoke in the authority of man. And then Jesus come back and spoke in his authority, his own authority and power. And that's essentially what the Apostle Paul is addressing here. He's saying, listen, they're just men who have seized authority that want to hang on to it, that are trying to impose upon you how they want you to live and what they want you to do so that you're dependent upon them. Listen, no Christian, no believer is dependent upon or, or, or required by the Bible to be uh, pleasing, to be living your life to please men. But you really shouldn't be spending your life working hard to try to please God either. Just trust him. If you trust him, he'll be pleased. If you trust him, he'll lead you to do things. And what I'm trying to say there is this. I know that doesn't sound right. What I'm trying to say is simply this. Motive is everything. You can do all kinds of good deeds. You can be, fill your life with all kinds of religious activity. You can do all kinds of acts of service to God. But if your motive is not uh, to, to love the Lord, to trust the Lord, and to seek the Lord's face, then it's all for naught. I know it's not what you hear in a typical Sunday at a Baptist church. But the truth of the matter is, is that we, we can spend a lifetime checking boxes and never please God. Or we can trust him and we can allow him to grow us and to encourage us and to, and to teach us so that what we do, we do out of a pure heart with pure motives uh, in a way uh, that we're seeking God and God is revealing himself to us. So the Paul comes and he establishes his authority and then he rebukes the corruption of the gospel. And then he reminds them how his life was changed. He's, God called me. This isn't my message. This is God's message. He said, in fact, uh, whenever, whenever Jesus arrested me on the road to Damascus, he said, I, and I went and I, uh, and I was, uh, was met and I was told what to do. I, I was in the desert for three years. I was in uh, Arabia for three years. I was isolated for three years. Isn't it interesting that the apostle that Jesus selected uh, to, uh, to come in the place, if you will, of Judas, is, is he also gave three years to and those three years, we don't really know anything about. Paul never told us about that experience other than what he says here. He's, he's, but what we do know is that he communed with God. And when he was done, 
with those three years of talking with Jesus and being taught and instructed, he went to Jerusalem at that point. Why, why is that important? Because the church of Jerusalem was corrupt. With Peter and with James, yes. They were trying. They were trying to get on the right page. Peter was struggling. God had even shown him visions and he ended up in the right place. But a young convert like Paul did not need to go and have be taught by polluted thinking in men. So Jesus just took him and taught him. And I'm not saying that we don't have a responsibility to teach one another. We do. But understand that the real authority is not in a position or a title. It's in the word of God. And we have to understand uh, the power and the truth of God's word and how he reveals himself to us. So Paul reminds them how the gospel has changed his life. He reminds them of who he was. And he shows them what God is turning him into and how God has changed him and transformed him. He eventually comes to them and says, listen, you know who I was. You know what I was about. You know how zealously I persecuted the church. You know how I hated everything that I now represent. And if God could do that in me, then God can do that in you. And if you're here this morning, you'd say, Pastor, you just don't know uh, what I've been to. You don't know what kind of problems I've had. You don't know how hurt I've been. You don't know how corrupt I've been. You don't know how immoral I've been. You don't know how this I've been or how that I've been. You don't know my legal history. You don't know when I was incarcerated. You don't know how long I've been out. You don't know... I'm just telling you this morning that in the eyes of God, it doesn't matter. There's nothing that you've done and there's nowhere that you've been that Jesus can't save you from and change you into what he would like for you to be. That is the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not the power of man. It is not the teaching of man. It is not the instruction of man. It is the moving of the Holy Spirit of God in the life of a believer. When we put our faith and trust in him, it is the gospel made alive in you and in me to change our lives. Amen. And understand this morning that the gospel changes everything. How do we mean? Well, I want you to notice what he says here. Again in verses 11 and 12. But I certify you, brethren... That the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now I want you to understand first of all this morning that the gospel reveals the truth. The gospel reveals truth. What do we mean? Well, there's three things that I want to point out here. And certainly there are more things than this. I'm not trying to say that this is all encompassing here. But I would say first of all that the, the greatest need that we have in our day and age, and not that it's really any different than any other, is to, be, is to understand what truth is. And, and this is a time in history when everybody wants to say, that's truth to you and this is truth to me. And as long as you stick to what's true to you, then you'll be okay. And I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. And it doesn't matter what a church says about what you got to do or how, you gotta, how, many, how many things you have to accomplish or if you've got to be a member or baptized or whatever to, to be on your way to heaven this morning. I'm here to tell you this morning that the only requirement for you to have a place and the Lord's family to be born into his, into his uh, family to become his child is to put your faith and trust in him. Amen. Seek his forgiveness. We've all sinned. And the revelation of that truth is transformational in our lives. Three thoughts about this. First, I would say it opens our eyes showing us who Jesus is. We spend too much time 
trying to convince people that what they've been taught or what they believe is wrong. So, Pastor, but, but they have. If they've been taught that you have to be baptized to go to heaven, that's, that's wrong. That's not biblical. That's works-based salvation. If they've been taught that you have to take communion or that you have to uh, go to confession or that you have to be baptized or that you have to do this or you have to do that, I understand. It's not biblical thinking. It's wrong according to what God said the gospel is. But I'm just telling you this morning that their need is not so much that we convince them that they're wrong as that we just simply expose them to the truth. But if I, if, I come, if I come out and I'm on the street and I find Melanie out there and I come to Melanie, I'm giving Pedro a break. Uh, and so I find Melanie out there and Melanie tells me all these things that she's been taught all of her life that are against the scripture. I can spend weeks trying to convince her that they're wrong or I can just say, the Bible says, here's the truth. And it's amazing when we present the truth how the Holy Spirit of God opens our eyes and shows us, wait a minute, that's true. If that's true, then that means everything that I've been taught about this is wrong. They don't need me telling them. And you don't need me, Brother Scott, coming to your house and beating you over the head and saying, man, uh, you believe that? How could you believe that? Can't you think for yourself? What is wrong with you? Uh, who taught you that anyway? Miss Stacy? What, what in the world was she thinking? What's going on in your mind? How could you believe that when the Bible so clearly says? And what I've gotten is invited to leave. <laughs> But if I just come and simply say, thus saith the Lord. And let God have time to work. And let God have time to draw someone that's searching, to draw someone that's hungry, to draw someone that's needy. It's amazing how God works all that out. We sometimes take too much upon ourselves. We're too impatient. Pastors are notorious for that. I've been here 10 years. I, I really, honestly, I was hoping that uh, we'd have to put chairs out at this point. But it's not up to me. It's not my church. By the way, if you were here when I got here uh, 10 years ago, it's not your church either. If you were here when it started, Miss Patsy, it's not your church either. It's the Lord's church. Now, I'm glad that we understand that this morning. It doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to you. It's his. And he gets to decide. And he gets, he's the one that grows it. Now, all my life I was taught, uh, go out and do great things for God. Go out and build a church for God. You're going to be a pastor. God called you to preach. Go build a church. Nowhere in the Bible am I instructed to build a church. The Bible instructs us to preach the gospel. Amen. And it's amazing when we just preach the word of God, how God can build his church. Amen. Listen, I don't need to build your life. You need to let God build your life. Will God use me and will God use other believers in Christ? Certainly he will as they walk with the Lord and we build relationships with one another. That's why part of the reason why he gave us the church. But it's the Lord that changes us, not anyone else. And what I'm saying this morning is that what we need to focus on and what Paul is focusing on here is just re real, helping them to realize that they see and what they need to see is Jesus. He said, listen, I was a persecutor of Jesus and I saw him. It's amazing what happens when we see the Lord. <laughs> you know what part of our problem is, is that, uh, that, we come, uh, that we go out into the world, we go to school, we go to work, we go to, uh, we go to the stores that we go to, we go to the restaurants that we go to, we hang out in their neighborhoods, we go to the parks, and we do all the things that we do in life, uh, and we feel pretty good about ourselves. I mean, 
Uh, some days that I just feel uh, horrible about me, and then I can go somewhere and I can come home feeling pretty good. There are other days that I feel pretty good about me, and I can go someplace and see somebody that makes me pretty feel bad, pretty bad about who I am and what I, uh, and what I am. Now, the, the problem is, is that I've got my eyes in the wrong place. What I just need is a glimpse of Jesus. Amen. You see, going to heaven or hell or the lake of fire for eternity is not about comparing myself to the culture, society, or other people. It's about how I stand up against Jesus. And when I see his perfect love, and when I see his perfect holiness and righteousness, when I see his perfect demand for justice, and when I see his perfect sacrifice, it's amazing that God would look down at us and say, you have sinned against me and my justice demands payment and that payment is going to come in the form of you being alienated from God in the lake of fire for all of eternity. But my love for you is so great. While I cannot sacrifice the justice, I can take your sin upon myself and sacrifice myself to pay that penalty for you so that I then can extend you mercy. The love of God does not eliminate God's justice and God's wrath of sin. It paid for it. It took our place. He stood in our stead. And the Apostle Paul is saying, lift up Jesus. Why? Because it opens our eyes. Just show me Jesus and I will fall feebly before him. I will fall humbly before him. Show me Jesus and I will not think myself a good man. Show me Jesus and I will not think myself a righteous man. Show me Jesus and I'll not think myself better than anyone else. Show me Jesus and all I'll see is how weak and frail and unable to do anything for myself I am. What is the gospel? The gospel is helping us come to a place where we look up and we don't see how we stack up against each other, but we see Jesus. Not only that, it opens our eyes showing us who we are really express that. I'm not going to belabor the point. But when he opens our eyes, when we reveals to us the truth, we see Jesus for who he is. And when we see Jesus for who he is, it reveals us for who we are. Thirdly, I would say that it opens our eyes showing us who we can become. And there's part of the beauty of the gospel that we forget sometimes. You see, when I see Jesus... It shows me just how horrid I really am. I said, Pastor, but, you know, you've been married to the same woman for 34 years and you've got a decent life and you haven't gone out and you haven't killed anybody, you haven't robbed anybody, you haven't, it's not so bad. It doesn't matter. Compared to Jesus, it's bad. The thing is, is that if you're here this morning and say, Pastor, man, I've been, I don't even know how many times I've been married anymore. I can't tell you how many people that I've taken advantage of. I can't tell you how many people I've lied about, how many people I've wronged. I can't tell you about how many people I've hurt. That was the Apostle Paul's testimony. He had blood on his hands. And when Jesus came to him, revealed himself, Paul realized who he was and fell down before him and said, what would you have me to do, Lord? 
And Jesus said, it's going to be shown to you what you must do. And he put his faith and his trust in him. Paul got up and Paul went his way. And Jesus sent someone to show him not only what Jesus had done, but what Paul could become. See, on that day on the Damascus Road, Paul didn't know what his future held. Surely God showing me mercy and coming to me is not going to let me serve him after the way that I persecuted him. See, the beauty of the gospel is it's not, it doesn't end when we see Jesus on his throne and we see us in our sin and we receive him. It doesn't end there. It continues because he begins to show us what we become become. So, Pastor, but you don't know my past. I'm just telling you this morning that no matter how horrible you're convinced that it may be, it doesn't matter to God. Because he can use you to bring him to glory. He can use you to change, to, to work and change the lives of others. He can use you in a way that's magnificent and beautiful. He can take those things in your life that are so messed up, that are so broken, that are so defiled, that are so corrupt in your heart, and he can take them and he can use them to help others. I'm just telling you this morning that if you're here and you say, Pastor, I know that Jesus is my Savior. I know I'm on my way to heaven, but God could never use me because of the things I've done. Yes, he can. Not only can he, he desires to. And he can change everything if you'll let him. Why? Because the gospel reveals the truth. Secondly, consider that the gospel redirects our priorities. The gospel redirects our priorities. In verses 13 through 15, he says, For ye have heard of my conversion, or conversation. Conversation, to those of you that are new, in the scripture almost always means habits of life. You have heard of my habits of life. You've heard the way I lived. You heard what my values are. You heard what my lifestyle was. You've heard how I persecuted the church, essentially what he's saying. You know how that I attacked and worked against God. For you have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion. He's taken advantage for financial gain above my, many of my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me. We'll come back to verse 16 in a moment. But verse number 2 this morning, if you're keeping notes, the gospel will redirect our priorities. What do we mean? Well, consider two thoughts here. Paul's priorities were redirected from religion to relationship. His priorities before were all about religion. His priorities before were all about Judaism. They were all about keeping the law. They were all about forcing others to keep the law in the way that he thought that they should keep them. Sounds like a lot of our churches today. God changed that. He redirected his attitude from being a religious person to being a person that was in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. What you need this morning, what I need this morning is not more religion. What we need is a relationship with Christ. What we need is, is a relationship with our Father in which we can go to him and we can have a conversation. Where we can go to him and pour out our heart. Where we can go to him and we can seek his 
direction and advice. Where we can go to him and ask him to lead us. Where we can go to him to meet our needs. Listen, the pastor, I'm involved in all this religious activity. And you're wasting your time and your energy. And you're living a frustrated and overpowered life with little hope that anything will ever get better. And you're almost ready to pull your hair out or give up. So that's what happened to me. He can change all that. So, Pastor, how do you know? He did it for Paul. Hey, listen, I, I don't think myself to be that great of a person, but I, but I, I think I, I'm a better person than Saul was. I haven't chased people down and unjustly incarcerated them. I, I, I haven't murdered people. I haven't twisted and perverted religious activity so that I could gain in prominence or power or financially. Paul said he did all of that. He said, but God changed my priorities. My priorities are no longer about religion. They're no longer about the traditions of men. They're no longer about uh, the, way that, uh, the way that the fathers have always done it. They're about the gospel. It's about a relationship with a Savior that loves me. It's about growing by His grace. It is a, a priority of redirected from religion to relationship. And it's, a, and it's a priority of redirection from self-service to sacrificial service. See, before everything that Paul did, he did for his own gain. He was serving God, he thought. He was protecting the church, he thought. But his real motive he reveals here. It gave me power. It gave me prominence. It gave me position. It gave me money. And I, were, I was doing things in the name of God that appeared to be in the service of God so that I could be exalted. But now, I've sacrificed my life for others. See, Jesus didn't come so that he could gain. We have nothing to give him. He came for us. And the gospel is simply the recognition and, and part of it coming to understand that my priorities are not about religious activity. Our priorities are about serving the Lord Jesus Christ, serving others, serving, uh, not doing things for our own gain, but to help and to benefit what Jesus is trying to do in the lives of the world around us. Thirdly, the gospel reprograms our values. You cannot learn the Lord Jesus Christ, accept the Lord Jesus Christ, learn the scriptures and embrace them and remain and, and, and keep the same values that you had when you were in the world. What, notice what Paul says. To reveal his son in me, in verse 16, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them that were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Listen, what did he do? He got alone with God. He spent time with the Lord. He did not uh, allow himself and his mind to be, uh, be corrupted with the thinking and the philosophy of man. He was embracing true biblical values. Listen, God, the gospel will reprogram our values. Listen, his values were shaped by his understanding of Jesus. What should my values be as a Christian pastor? They should be shaped by your understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ. My values should be the things that were valuable to him. He loves life. He, he loves 
sinners. He loves the righteous. He loves people that are longing to be with him. He's looking for people that will worship in spirit and truth. The Father seeketh such to worship him. What I'm saying this morning simply is this, is that the true gospel of Christ will put us in a place where our values change not based upon the whims of the day. Listen, the values of people in the United States are not the same as they were 30 years ago, 50 years ago, 75 years ago. The values have changed at the whims of the culture. What I'm saying this morning is simply this, that my values should not be dictated to me by the whims of a culture. They should be dictated to me by my understanding of who and what the Lord Jesus Christ is. That's what's valuable to him. His values were shaped by his understanding of Jesus. Secondly, his values were altered by his exposure to the truth. In other words, as he learned truth, he responded to truth. He did not resist truth. So often we get to a place and we are resistant to the truth. Oh, we hear the truth. We even get to the point where we're growing enough to where we understand. That's hard for me, Pastor, but I get it. It's, I understand it's the truth. That's what the Bible's teaching. That's what God said. But that's just, I'm not ready for that yet. It brings us to a place where we're ready. Not because we want to please the pastor, our disciple, or our Sunday school teacher, but because we accept and acknowledge that God has revealed in his word to me his truth. And when his truth goes against who and what I am, what I believe, what's important to me, then I'm going to let him change my way of thinking to his. The Apostle Paul let Jesus change him from what he was to what he needed to be. The gospel will reprogram our values. Fourthly and lastly tonight, or this morning, the gospel will repurpose our life's work. Notice in verse 23. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed. That is a beautiful verse. He who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith that he was trying to destroy. How is that possible? It's possible because of the gospel. It's possible because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our life's work should be the pursuit of Jesus. Listen, if you're here this morning and say, Pastor, I, I, I'm here. I love the Lord. I want to serve God. Uh, maybe you were here this morning and you say, Pastor, God, God called me to preach. I'm going to tell you this morning, pursue Jesus. Your life's work as a believer in Christ is the pursuit of God. It's not the pursuit of position. It's not the pursuit of power. It's not the pursuit of pleasing men. It is the pursuit of Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that we, if, if, that we shouldn't prepare, that we shouldn't be trained, that we shouldn't be all in in, in growing and being developed and, and learning uh, the things that we need to learn to do, specifically what God's put in our heart to do. I'm saying our motive must be the pursuit of Christ. What I need this morning, what you need this morning, no matter where you are in your journey of faith, whether you're brand new to the Christian faith or whether you've been saved a long time, whether you know the Bible well or whether you've sat in a church pew for 30 years and know little of what the Bible actually says. By the way, the fault of that lies a lot more here than it does in the pew. I never cease to be amazed the older that I get at how people could have been in church three or four times a week for 20, 30, and 40 years and know so little authentic Bible principle and truth. Our pulpits have failed to deliver to us a pure word of God. 
may we understand that what is important is that we are pursuing the Lord Jesus Christ. Pursue him. How do I do that, Pastor? Well, part of it is attending church services. But it's attending them with an open heart, inviting the Spirit of God to work and to show me and reveal me truth. Part of it is spending time with God at home, alone. Sometimes it's spending time in conversation with God in prayer as you walk or drive or, or, or just out and about. It's a, it's a pursuit of God. Listen, the gospel will repurpose our life's work. And our life's work as believers is the pursuit of Christ. And our life's work is the fulfilling of his will. Listen, Jesus has a plan for your life. He, he didn't create you as a unique individual to just be molded into some cookie-cutter image that's mass-produced where the church basically becomes a machine that just mass-produces little cookie-cutter images of what we think Christians are supposed to look like. The gospel puts us into a position where the Lord Jesus reveals himself to us and we are uniquely positioned to fulfill his direct call for our life. God has a specific plan and a purpose for your life. And that specific plan and purpose, Pedro, doesn't look like his plan for my life. There may be some similarities. Certainly there will be. But your goal is not to say, I'm a teenager, that's my pastor, I need to be just like him. You end up in a world of hurt if you try to be like this guy. Go Just be like Jesus. And thank you for the amen from the peanut gallery. <laughs> what I'm saying this morning simply is this. Pursue the Lord. Don't worry about anybody else. Just be in pursuit of Jesus Christ. Take advantage of the people that he puts in your life to help you find them. And understand that no matter where you've gone, no matter what you've done, no matter how good you've done things or no matter how greatly you've failed, no matter how, uh, how clean your life has been or how filled with sin your life has been, it doesn't matter because when the power of the gospel gets a hold of you, he changes you into what he wants you to be. He even takes all of the things that were broken yesterday and he uses them for his glory tomorrow. He can do wonderful things with your life. Don't let the devil convince you. Don't let the world convince you that because you did this wrong or you had this mistake or you have this circumstance in your life that God somehow is done with you and can't use you. On the contrary, he can use you in a great and a magnificent and a wonderful way that will leave you amazed at his forgiveness and his grace and will leave you fulfilled that God would take and use you in such a wonderful way. And what, has, what the devil has used to make you feel as if you have no value, God will take and use to show you that you are the most valuable thing to him. Amen. He loves you. He cares for you. The gospel will repurpose our life's work. What is that work? To pursue Jesus and to follow his will for our lives. So we wrap up this morning, I would just say this. The gospel is not just some story. It's not just a myth. It's not a myth. It's not a fable. It is the life-giving, life-changing power of God. So Pastor, I don't understand that. When he reveals himself to you on your road to Damascus, you'll understand what do I do in the meantime? Search for him. Seek for him. Ask him to reveal himself to you. 
Say, Pastor, but I've been in church all my life and I've done this and I've done that. Don't worry about any of that. Just say, God, would you show me yourself? Would you show me Jesus? Just show me you. Just show me you. The real you. Not the church packaged you. Not the, not the, but the one that uh, is concocted in some artist depiction. Not the one that is, uh, that, that, that's formulated in the words from the pulpit. But Lord Jesus, show me you. And your love and your power and your grace. Show me what happens then. I'm just here to tell you this morning that the gospel can change your eternal destiny. If you're here this morning, you're going to spend eternity somewhere. Your body's going to die. But your, your soul's not. This body will cease to exist. One of these days, I'll take my last breath. And my heart will beat its last beat. And when that happens, my soul, because I know the Lord Jesus Christ, is going to be ushered into the presence of God. But if I did not know the Lord Jesus Christ, if I did not accept him as my Savior, I would be ushered into hell, waiting for the great white throne judgment. My fate would be sealed. What I'm saying this morning is that the gospel can change that. Say, Pastor, if you're, I'm here this morning. I'm not sure if I die. I'm a good person, but I, after what you said this morning, I'm not sure if, if I died, I'd go to heaven. That's a great first step. It's the Lord that showed you that or put that thought in your heart. What I'm saying this morning is that the gospel can change your destination. Well, why am I so much worse than anybody else? You're not. You're just exactly like everyone else in here. The only difference between, uh, between someone here that's known the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior for decades and someone that's yet to discover him or put their faith and trust in him, the only difference in them is, is that decision. That's it. We were all born in sin. We were all born with a dead spirit. We were all born, uh, we were all born with a body and a soul. And the Bible tells us in Titus chapter 3, in verse number five, that not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. What does that mean? That means the spirit that God put in us in the Garden of Eden that died whenever Adam and Eve sinned. When I put my faith and trust in Jesus, that spirit is made alive again. It's regenerated. That's what regeneration means to make alive again. And when that spirit is born, John chapter 1 and verse 12 says God gave us the power to become the sons of God. We are not Christians because we did this or because we did that. We become Christians because we were born into the family of God. And we're born into God's family when we repent of our sins and we accept the gift that he's made available to us. The gospel can change your eternal destination. The, the gospel can change your, your relationships in your direction. If your life's headed in a bad direction and you know it this morning, I'm going to tell you the answer, Jesus. Amen. If you're here this morning and say, Man, Pastor, honestly, if, if, God, if something doesn't happen in my life, my life is going to be ruined. My life is, I'm going to end up in prison or I'm going to end up broken or I'm going to end up uh, feeling as if I've got nothing to give. What's the solution to my problem? And the solution to your problem is the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel can change your priorities and values and the gospel can set you free. If the truth has set you free, you are free indeed. Free from what? Well, the gospel sets you free, first of all, from the penalty of your sin. 
that gift of God to say, if you'll accept this gift, if you'll receive me as your savior, then I'm making you my child. You are now part of the family. Your position has changed. You're no longer out there looking in. You are now in here with me. And I'm going to teach you and I'm going to instruct you. When you're wrong, I'm going to discipline you. Whenever you need to be uh, encouraged, I'm going to encourage you. When you need to be reined in and rebuked, I'm going to rebuke you. But you're mine. Not only does he set us free from the power of that sin or from the penalty of the sin, but the power of it. If you're here this morning and say, Pastor, I know that Jesus is my Savior, but I just can't get over this addiction, or I just can't get over my bitterness, or I just can't get over my anger, I just can't get over, and you could go on and name whatever it is that you struggle with. I'll tell you the answer. His name is Jesus. Because the gospel sets you free from the power of that sin in your life. And when we come into the presence of God, He's going to set us free from the effects of sin in our life. What effects of sin? If you're over about 50, you understand what I'm talking about. You realize when I get to heaven, I'll have hair again? When I get to heaven, I won't be so overweight. When I get to heaven, it won't be a struggle to stand up. When I get to heaven, my, uh, my, my bones won't crack and pop. and I won't sound like a bowl of Rice Krispies being milk poured in it when I stand up. When I get to heaven... Everything was just the way God intended it always to be. Why? Because we are sick. We are frail. We are struggling with diabetes or struggling with blood pressure or struggling with cancer or struggling with whatever ails you this morning. Because of the effects of sin on God's creation. Well, why would God do that? God didn't do that. We did that. We did it. And God in his love and his grace said... I'm going to come, and I'm going to show you Jesus. And when you accept him, I'm going to set you free from the penalty of the sin. And I'm going to give you the freedom from the power of that sin, if you'll let me, to live a life that is meaningful and is full of purpose and that is empowered. And whenever you come into my presence, either when I come to receive my church into myself or when you leave this life with sin having done its work and brought you to death, and you come into my presence, I'm going to give you a brand new body, a brand new everything. It'll be just like the Lord Jesus Christ. And for eternity, everything will be perfect. That, my friends, is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't have to live defeated. You don't have to live overwhelmed. You don't have to live distraught. Live free. Live knowing that Jesus Christ is your Savior and that heaven is your home. Beyond that, live free from every mistake in your past, every sin in your past, every failure in your present, let him set you free. Let him help you overcome and become a testimony of the grace and the power of God that others might see him working in you. And as you grow older and you get tired and you get frail and you get weak and you get to feeling like, what am I going to do? Realize that one day soon I'm going to be in the presence of my God and when I am, everything will be wonderful. Why? Because he loves us that much. Will we accept the gospel? So, Pastor, I accepted the gospel. Jesus is my Savior. Have you accepted the gospel to change your life? But my life is in its twilight years. Have you accepted that you're going to be glorifying God and everything will be perfect for an eternity and the time that you have left matters? 
Use it to his glory. Let God do something in you that only he can do and be amazed at the power of the gospel.